0: Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help women who have lost children to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Life Coach and Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 17, The Major Life Shifts After Loss. Tonight I taught a grief recovery method, grief support group, and I was just reminded again how grateful I am for that program that helps those that are grieving to walk through the steps of recovery. Things that we can do to help us to reclaim our lives again, that we can get past the pain of loss so that we can have and enjoy fond memories. And I'm just really grateful for that program. One of the gentlemen that I met while I was doing my certification was a man who had lost his wife of many years, and his daughter, who had lost his her mother, found the grief recovery method and encouraged her father to also participate. And so they both participated in the program and found tremendous Relief. Another daughter chose not to, and he really noticed he and his daughter that did go through the grief recovery method both noticed a big difference between her ability to deal with her grief and their ability to deal with their grief. I really appreciated his example of doing the work and not only doing the work, but then making a a difference in other people's lives at the same time. As I was thinking about the major life shifts after loss, I thought about Carrie and David's death and how it was so sudden and unexpected and and to lose two children at once was incomprehensible. It was just, you know, one minute we were driving down the road, enjoying our time together and kind of goofing off in the car. and And the next minute our car was rolling and our lives were changed forever. And that car stopped rolling and I didn't hear Carrie and David in the car. And it was devastating. I think at that very moment, my heart knew that they were gone, even though I held on to a little glimmer of hope that possibly they had survived the accident, which of course was not the case. And so there was no time to prepare every, they were just gone in an instant. And our whole life changed in an instant. And it's kind of like an earthquake, an earthquake that devastates a town. A major loss devastates our person and our body. And originally, I was going to name this episode, Our Health. And I kind of wanted to take a different approach with this and really talk about this devastation of our our soul when something like this happens. Our soul, meaning our spirit and our body. Think about when you have any emotion, let's say it's embarrassment, and maybe you have a bodily reaction. Some people's face gets red, some people's necks get red. Or if you feel angry, think about how that feels in your body. When we have emotions, we have a bodily reaction. And so it makes sense that when we experience a devastating loss, when we experience a major loss, that our bodies react, they respond to that. I read an article. I actually just saw that, saw this article this week on fatherly.com. I hadn't actually heard of that before, but there's a website called fatherly.com. And there was an article about how parents experience the death of a child. And they talked specifically about the physical reaction. And I guess what I wanted to do is kind of talk to you about how the emotional reaction and the physical reaction can kind of mirror each other in some ways. There's a researcher, his name is Frank Inferna. He's quoted in this article and it says, Frank Inferna and his associates studied the physical functioning of a bereaved parent. And he said that we didn't see much of a change in this, the physical functioning. But he recalls that when he reviewed bereaved parents' self-reports, so in other words, whether they were feeling like they got sick more often or they were feeling like their health had improved or declined, he found the there was a poorer perception of their health compared to the actual measure of their health that the actual bereaved parent had a poor perception of what their health was. But all major grief responses include physical symptoms. And some of these symptoms, some, maybe you've experienced some of these stomach aches, muscle cramps, headaches, even irritable bowel, bowel syndrome. I remember even after my divorce uh, many years ago, I lost so much weight because I couldn't eat because my my stomach was just upset all the time. And so I really struggled to eat. Another thing that they quoted in this article was this broken heart syndrome. It's a, a condition that presents almost like a heart attack, And they quoted Dr. Kirsten Fuller. She's a physician and a clinical writer for the Center of Discovery Treatment Centers. And Dr. Fuller said, as a reaction to emotional or physical stress, the body's natural response is to release catecholamines, also known as stress hormones, that temporarily stun the heart muscle. So that's where these deep chest pains come from that feel like a heart heart attack. Along with these physical reactions that we talked about. There's also the chronic stress. Chronic stress can even impact the brain functions. It said in this article that this can be caused by long-term exposure to the stress hormone cortisol. We've heard of the hormone cortisol. That's a hormone that's discussed fairly frequently when it's in regards to stress. And it affects the regions of the brain responsible for grief processing and are also, which this is what was really interesting in the article. They said that these, these stress hormones not only are responsible for the regions of the brain for grief processing, but are also involved in regulating appetite and sleep. So this explains why when we're grieving, our appetite and our sleep are affected because of these actual hormones that are being released, these stress hormones. It just reminds us how important it is for us to be gentle with ourselves, that we're not only having an emotional response, but that we're having a physical response as well. So again, it's really important that we be gentle with ourselves, that we try to reduce the stress in other areas of our life as much as we can, and to pay particular attention to our eating and sleeping patterns and habits, and do anything that we can to improve our sleep and our eating. There's a lot of, a lot of information out there about improving sleeping. A lot of the advice goes along the lines of, you know, turning off electronics in the evening so that our brain has time to produce those hormones that signal that it's time for sleep, to do something relaxing in the evening so we can wind down, to maybe not eat a heavy meal late in the evening. I also find that meditation or meditation type music is very helpful in the evening when it comes time to go to sleep. As far as our eating, if we can get on a pattern of eating and eat at a regular time, that can be very helpful so that we're not having to think about our eating all the time. We only think about it during those breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then paying attention to what we're eating that can support our bodies. I attended a workshop this weekend. You know, you guys are always on my mind. I am just all week long I'm thinking about messages that I can bring to you that will be helpful and encouraging. And I attended a workshop this past weekend. And again, I took so much from that, that I want to pass on to you. The presenter was Kirk Duncan, and he gave so much good information, but I want to share some of the things that he shared with us. And that is that we're in charge of what comes out of our voice, and words are really important. And you can use your voice to raise your level. So, no matter where you are now, you can use your words and your voice to raise your level. He also suggested that self value is self inflicted. So, whatever you talk yourself into will happen. Another fascinating description that he gave, which I found really, really helpful is the idea that our brains have a belief system. And we actually talk about this quite a bit in the grief recovery method as well, but our brains have a belief system. And our belief system is built off of what we've learned, whether that's our experiences growing up, or just our experiences in general. Sometimes it's our experiences in in relating to grief, it's our experiences that we've had with grief up until that point. And so we have this belief system that is develops in our brain. And our brain is always looking for evidence for our belief system. And then something will come along that challenges our belief system. And it's like a scale. So if you think about a scale where you have all the evidence for your belief system, and it's stacked high, let's say there's 50 pounds of weight on your particular belief on one side of the scale. And then you learn something that challenges that belief, and that goes on the other side of the scale. But it doesn't tip the scale because maybe that weighed five pounds. But little by little, you might get more and more evidence that challenges that old belief system. And eventually you build up enough evidence on the opposing side that it tips the scale. And I want to talk about that in terms of our self-talk but before we start talking about self-talk, I wanted to share with you another, another interesting thought that was shared with, with me over this weekend. And that was that buried bad thoughts about ourselves can resurface when something unexpected or negative happens. I kind of think of it in terms of, you know, if you're married, you might have an argument with your husband. And then all of a sudden you're having a disagreement with them and it becomes about more than just that disagreement. So we're going to take something super simple. Let's say you're having an argument about leaving your socks on the floor. And then all of a sudden the argument goes from just leaving the socks on the floor to you didn't help with the dishes. And why didn't you clean up after dinner? And why didn't you fill up the gas tank? And we find all these other things that resurface when we're having an argument. So it's kind of the same type of thing. When something unexpected or something negative happens, something dramatic happens, if we've buried bad thoughts about ourselves, those can resurface. Just like negative thoughts about a husband or a wife might resurface in the middle of an argument. So in terms of grief, and in terms of a traumatic experience, like losing a loved one, You can imagine how it just brings up everything. Just everything comes to the surface. I recently read a book called The Genie in My Genes by Dawson Church PhD. In this book, he really connects, he he talks about the mind-body connection, how it works, why it's important, all the science behind it. There's actually a lot of science in this book. I was I was kind of surprised. I I guess I didn't really know what to expect, but there was a lot of science about the connection between our mind and our body. And I wanted to just share with you a couple of thoughts from that book. He says, As we think our thoughts and feel our feelings, our bodies respond with a complex array of shifts. Each thought or feeling unleashes a particular cascade of biochemicals in our organs each experience triggers genetic changes in our cells. Now, if you've experienced a traumatic loss like I have, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably have, that might sound kind of scary when he says each experience triggers genetic changes in our cells, but our bodies are programmed to heal. And so there is all kinds of opportunities for our bodies to heal. And these reactions that we're having, these chemical responses that we're having are natural and normal. It's part of the grief process. So I don't think it's anything to fear. I do think that it's important for us to work through our emotions and work through the process and not deal with a lot of unresolved grief over time, because that could be harmful for us. But I know you're doing all the right things and you're doing those things that are important for you. So I just wanted to share with you his other thoughts. He says, when the doctor of the future tears a page off her prescription pad and hands it to a patient, the prescription might well be instead of, or in addition to a drug, a particular therapeutic belief or thought, a positive feeling, a gene enhancing physical exercise, an active altruism a day of gratitude, or membership in a social club. Research is revealing that these activities, thoughts, and feelings have profound healing and regenerative effects on our bodies. And we're now figuring out how to use them therapeutically. Okay. I don't know if you noticed this, but the list that he just gave corresponds with all that we're learning from positive psychology. These were the things that he said that a doctor might recommend a therapeutic belief or thought, a positive feeling, a gene-enhancing physical exercise, an act of altruism, a day of gratitude, or a membership in a social club. Those are right along the lines of the things that science is now learning, which we probably already knew as a society, were helpful to our well-being. So it's just become Very, very important and apparent that our words and the input that we invite into our life can reprogram us and and can help lift us. When I was going through the really raw moments of my grief, I was watching things that weren't very helpful. As I've learned more and more about how our thoughts and again, the things that we input into our mind, how important those things are, I've become more aware of the things that I watch, the things that I listen to. And so I'm looking more and more for those things that are uplifting. I really love comedies myself, and that's really uplifting to me. And the other things that can be uplifting are, if you have a spiritual practice, spiritual music can be very uplifting. Spending some time every day in activities that lift our spirits can be super helpful. I mentioned self-talk before, and we're going to talk more about that right now. If you remember the story of the little engine that could, the little engine was trying to climb the mountain, and he said, I think I can, I think I can. And he didn't just say it once, and he didn't just say it twice, but he said it all the way up to the top of the mountain. It's a simple little children's story, but it's a good reminder for all of us to have our own back to say those things to ourselves that are helpful and encouraging. So self-talk seems to be the solution. So let's take a closer look at that. Dr. Shad Helmstetter wrote a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself, and he outlines in great detail the importance of self-talk. He actually has recordings too that you can purchase that have these scripts for good self-talk. Another author that has written quite a bit about how we talk to ourselves is Louise Hay. And I wanted to share with you from her book, Meditations to Heal Your Life. Here's some meditations on good health. And she entitles it, Good Health is My Divine Right. I'm just going to read a little bit of this to you because I want you to get an idea of what I'm talking about when I'm saying self-talk. Those things that are encouraging to our, to ourselves and, and feed our soul. This is what she wrote. I know that every cell in my body is intelligent and knows how to heal itself. My body is always working towards perfect health. I watch my thinking and only think healthy thoughts. I release, wipe out and eliminate all thoughts of hatred, jealousy, anger, fear, self-pity, shame, and guilt. I forgive all those who I believe have ever hurt me. I forgive myself for hurting others and for not loving myself more in the past. I love my body. I send love to each organ, bone, muscle, and part of my body. I flood the cells of my body with love. I am grateful to my body for all the good health I have had in the past. I accept healing and good health here and now. Those are the words of Louise Hay. She has a book, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, something like Everyday Miracles, where she shares stories of people that have used these type of meditations, these types of phrases that they've repeated to themselves over and over day after day that have helped them heal their lives. It was when I learned to really pay attention to the things that I was saying to myself And to adjust those to better self talk, that I really improved my own well being. I greatly improved my outlook on life and greatly improved just my day to day experiences. Because when our mind is filled with the positive, we see more of the positive. When our mind is filled with the negative, we see more of the negative. And that's where the challenge is. When you've experienced a terrible loss, our minds, see this terrible loss and then it immediately starts to think that everything is terrible and our mind just starts looking for all of that so one of the things that we can do is take a control of our mind little by little we can learn over time to pay closer attention and to be able to turn our thoughts to a more positive outlook it sounds like a simple thing in practice it's not always simple. I I should say it's simple, but it's not always easy. That's probably a better way of saying it. I mean, to this day, I understand this and, and the importance of it, but that doesn't mean that every day I'm not still catching myself saying things or thinking things that are not helpful. So it is a practice that we get into and we become better and better at it. I want to suggest a simple daily practice that can help shift things and help create well-being. That is to write on a little sticky note or a little piece of paper every day one thought that you have about yourself that's not helpful. Like, I'm not good enough. I think that's a universal thought that we can all relate to. Now I want you to get a little bit Pad of paper, something that you can carry with you. And on that pad of paper, I want you to write the opposite of that negative thought. The reason we're writing the negative thought on a little scrap piece of paper is because we're going to destroy that. And the reason we're writing the opposite, the positive thought, on a little pad of paper that we can carry with us is because we're going to collect all those positive thoughts. And that's going to become our mantra. That's going to become our messaging to ourselves. The example was, I'm not good enough. The opposite could be something like, I am good enough. In fact, I am great. You'll notice that I took the negative thought, and I not only suggested the opposite, but then I added to it. We want the positive thought to be even stronger, even more reinforcing than just simply doing the opposite of the negative thought. Now, once you've done that, take that little scrap of paper and rip it into little tiny shreds and throw that away. Because your new thought is, I am good enough. In fact, I am great. Let's take another one. Maybe you hear yourself saying to yourself, I can't do anything right on that little scrap of paper, you've written down that thought. The reason we're writing them down is we want to capture them so we can look at them and then destroy them because we're throwing them away. So what would be the opposite? The opposite would be, I do so many things well, and I am very capable. These are relatively routine thoughts and suggestions, but you'll think of things that are even more meaningful for you. As you do this every day, just focusing on one thought that's coming up for you that you want to reverse and adding that reverse comment, the positive comment into your little notebook, you will collect a whole notebook of wonderful statements that you can repeat to yourself. And then as you're carrying it around, pull it out several times a day and just read those statements. Say them out loud if you can. Say them with enthusiasm if you can. And this will really turn your mindset. Again, remember to take those little scraps of paper that you've written the negative thing on and rip those up and throw them away and be done with those negative comments. You may find that they will still come pop up in your mind, but as you consistently go to your notebook and read through those po- positive statements, you're going to find some real help in there. So I hope you'll take your health seriously and adjust your self-talk so you can pr- improve your well-being. We have major shifts in our lives, but we have an opportunity to take control and create positive shifts. A lot of people ask me what I do as a life coach and a grief recovery specialist. And what I do is I offer support. I offer support through grief coaching and, And through life coaching, I work together with people to help them develop skills and to take the small, important actions to process grief and start to rebuild. I help people to identify what they would like to improve in their lives and then look at the ways and the skills and the tools to actually do that. I hope you'll visit me at Build a Life After Loss. And if you're interested in talking to me, go to the work with Julie page and fill out that little questionnaire. And that'll give us, give me some idea of what's happening for you now. And we can have a discussion. It's complimentary. I'll call you and we'll just have a discussion about what's currently going on and how I might be able to support you. Often I say, I believe in you. And the reason I believe in you is because I have such hope for my future. And I know that you can too. I believe in you. Have a great week.